This is like totally medieval. And now, from the Coastal Pinball Research Center and Strikem Bowling Alley in beautiful Victoria, BC, it's Vancouver Island Pinball. Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast, episode number five. So on today's episode, we're going to start with a rundown of the current situation on the island as far as the arcades go. Uh, then we're going to concentrate a bit on our friends in Alberta. We're going to interview a, a fellow named Brennan, who actually has roots in Victoria, but now is working in a couple different locations uh, in uh, Calgary. We're then going to go to a tech segment with uh, Daryl. Daryl, uh, what's today's tech segment looking like? Well, in today's tech segment, Pinball Dave and I are discussing how to buy a machine, what to look for, and a few, uh, few tips when you're purchasing. Awesome, awesome. After that, we've got a first ever, for us at least, a review. We uh, had a friend of the podcast that uh, purchased a Guns N' Roses limited edition. So we've got sort of an overview of the game and just uh, some of the highlights of the machine. We don't go too deep into it, but we're, we want people to get a feel for the game and really what a jump forward this uh, machine is as far as pinball technology goes. And then we end the, uh, the episode with an interview with Derek Thompson uh, of Edmonton of Yegpen and Arcadium fame. And uh, we just sort of go over how we got into pinball and how Yegpin was created and our Arcadium and some other things that he's been involved with. At the end of this, we'll have a contest and details will be just after that segment with uh, Derek. The uh, status of the arcades on the island currently. Powerhouse is still in the mode where they're doing streaming three times a week. They're currently doing three to four hour stream sessions on Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays. Quasars is still open for private bookings of up to six people for one-hour segments. Uh, please contact Quasars directly to book that. Peacocks has games turned on, and you can use them. They are spaced out, uh, but contact Peacocks if you have any questions. Up in Shimanus, Wiffles was closed for the holidays, but they should be reopening now. Uh, so they're open Tuesday to Sunday, and then the Wizards Arcade is open daily. Hello again, it's Dan Bitterlick with the uh, Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast, and today I'm interviewing uh, day one VPLer Brennan Patterson. Brennan, how you doing? Hey, Dan, doing well. That's good. That's good. So you had a good Christmas and uh, enjoying a little bit of the season, are you? Christmas was good. Got to spend a little bit of time with my immediate family. But mm-hmm. uh, other than that, it's been very chill this year. Well, I, I think for a lot of us, it's uh, it's, it's definitely good. 2020 will be a unique year for, for many different reasons. And, uh, and uh, the holiday seasons, I think, are among them. So you, uh, like I say, you were a day one uh, participant in the yeah. VPL. You were uh, quite active. How did you find out about us? And, uh, well, just take me down that path a little bit. Sure, yeah. Well, for me, I saw a poster on a pole walking down <laughs> the street. Okay. That's, that's what it was. And as soon as I saw it, I took a picture and I was like, I have to, to go. 
there's a pinball league starting. This is something I, you know, I was into pinball a little bit before, but I'd never heard really of anyone doing a league. So I was immediately intrigued and, and couldn't wait for it to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it is, uh, we often get that comment from people is there's leagues. Well, usually the first comment is they still make pinball machines. And then the second one is there's leaks. Um, right. And yes, both of those are true. They they still make them, and uh, we do have leaks. That's right. And so you came down, and uh, I think you played all right, uh, as I remember. Um, and I know that you really—I mean, you're a very personable person, um, and so I think you added a lot to the mix just socially. Uh, and that's always one of the things in leagues that people don't always understand. It's not just all about competition. It's also about hanging out and, uh, and uh, just, you know, sharing the interests that we all have. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was excited to, uh, to meet everyone in town that was, you know, also into pinball at the time and uh, just excited that there was going to be some healthy competition and something fun to do. Well, and you had some outside skills too, because you actually very quickly took on our social media. And um, I know for the period that you were with us, which was about seven months or so, that uh, our social media presence was was quite large. And uh, that that has to be attributed to you. You had some great skills there and definitely got some excitement up for, and brought people in with it too, because again, different age groups, some people are, you know, uh, are going to be uh, much more in tune to Instagram and uh, and Twitter and and the different uh, the different platforms. That's right. Yeah. Well, I just I mean, I thought it was such a great idea, and it felt like none of my friends knew that there was a pinball league in town. So I wanted to do what I could to spread the good word. <laughs> awesome, awesome stuff. And I believe, did you win the first tournament we ever had here? I can't remember that. Um, I believe I won the first head-to-head uh, -head that we did. The, well, the Broadmead Bash, I think, right? The Broadmead Bash, that's what it was, yep. Yeah, that was the very first tournament that was ever held on the island. And then I remember you coming out, and of course it was held at my house, which again means right. that I didn't win on my machines, which is no surprise to anybody. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, yeah. that was actually quite cool. Um, that was a lot of fun, and that, and that was our, sort of our beginnings. We had had we'd gone through a league season. We wanted to do a little bit of a charity event. Um, I think we had about ten people out for that tournament, um, you know, and that would be the predecessor to something much larger that would come along a few months later, because you were one of the big proponents of us going into the Comic Con. Um, yes, yeah, I thought that would have been. A, I, I saw that as an opportunity, and and. Uh... And I came to you and Dave and talked about, you know, how good it would be to have a presence at the Comic-Con. And it turned out to be, you know, super successful. So oh, yeah. Very it, was wildly, very... it was wildly successful. I mean, we raised yeah. uh, right around $1,000 for the BC Kids Hospital. And we got to, again, we got to show a lot of people that weren't aware that pinball was still alive and, and quite vibrant. Well, I think we had like 10 machines there. And we ran a kids tournament and uh, sort of in a novice tournament and then uh, our pro level tournament. Yeah, we're not professionals, um, but but it was a lot of fun. And I, I remember that, uh, well, you you were there pretty much every hour you could be helping out. And uh, as was I and the volunteers that we had, we had Neil there, we had Haley there. 
you know, Dimitri was there for part of it, um, Couch. I mean, it was great just getting all these people out and being able to share, you know, what we enjoyed and the look on people's faces, you know, that hadn't played in quite a while. Uh, it was great. It was uh, it was one of those opportunities to, uh, you know, teach some of the parents that had kids at the Comic-Con that this is something that was for all ages and that was happening in their own city. And a lot of people just don't know about it until they see it. Yeah, very true. Very true. And again, when you can put a good cause on to the end of that, too, um, it's really a win-win-win for, for everybody, right? It's, uh, you know, when you can link a charity in and, and do that kind of thing. Now, that was right around the time that, uh, unfortunately, you were leaving us here in on the island. You actually had uh, uh, made arrangements. You were moving uh, back east, but not very east, uh, to Calgary, to Calgary, Alberta. <laughs> And and that's, that's right. the reason that you're on this episode because of course this is our Alberta centric episode, uh, and uh, so what exactly happened when you got to Calgary? I went to uh, as soon as I moved to Calgary, I went down to a place called Pinbar, and I showed them my resume and said I would love to work with them, and and they were gracious enough to bring me on board so I could uh, you know work at the Pinbar. Uh, restaurant and bar there, but at the same time, uh, you know, kind of hone my skills of of learning how to fix and maintenance pinball machines. That's really cool. And and uh, that came along. Was what was the scene like? Or, or well, I know right now, as as everywhere, the scene really doesn't exist. Uh, you know, as with the IFPA not sanctioning things and all. But uh, while you while things were going on, um, what type of uh, events were you having? Uh, you know, how often were they? Yeah. So uh, you know, when I first got to town there last year, there was all kinds of events. Uh, there would be monthly tournaments on the weekends. Um, and there would be weekly tur- tournaments on Mondays down at Pinbar. Um, and there, of course, there was a couple other leagues in town that had popped up throughout the year that were hosting um, at different restaurants and pubs. And, and then eventually they landed on a spot at, uh, at a casino. Uh, and then there's, of course, uh, a brewcade in town that also has an arcade uh, that I also do some work with now. Who uh, Okay do uh, bi-weekly tournaments wow so yeah that that's spread out yeah. i mean and that's great like i mean here we're still very sort of limited even when we are running to the two sites really or three now i guess with powerhouse but so you've yeah. you've got a number of different locations like public locations so there's three main locations to to play and host tournaments in calgary um and and you know there probably could be another another fourth or fifth one here as soon as things get back to normal, but until then, uh, yeah, things are really on pause there. But last year we had the three spots, and it was, uh, yeah, we were really fortunate. That's great. That's really cool. And how has your playing itself come along? Have, uh, have you seen improvement there, or are you are you too busy organizing and fixing stuff that... Uh... Uh, yeah, you know, I I would like to think that I've improved, but <laughs> it depends on the day of the week, to be honest. Um, more than anything, you know, my ability to diagnose and, and fix machines when they go down has, that's been the biggest improvement, I would say. Uh, I really enjoy maintaining the machines at, uh, at Pinbar and at Revival Brocade now. And 
doing what I can just to help out there. It's just it's uh, it makes a little things a little easier on everybody if there's someone who works uh, at the location that can also uh, help when there's something going on with the machines. So. Oh yeah, that's huge. I mean, uh, I you uh, pinball mechanics are by far the most needed and required element of any of this whole circle of, you know, you've got to have players, you've got to have organizers and everything else. But if the machines aren't running well, I mean, perfect is, is a stretch for anybody to keep their machines perfect, but to have them running really well. And then also, you know, to be able to diagnose and fix problems, you know, fairly quickly, it just really changes the environment because uh, everybody gets frustrated when you walk up to a machine and it's not working or if something breaks down, but it's also physical and it's going to happen. Right. But uh, no, that's that's great. It doesn't take much. (laughs) No, it doesn't. And then, you know what, there's always side work too. I know um, we we're starting to see more people show interest here on the Island in repair. And I know uh, powerhouse has got a new, a new tech on um, uh, troll troll, the Chris, the troll, I think he is. He goes by the 420 troll. Um, He's really (laughs) taken to it. uh, And uh He's, he was mentioning today on on their their stream that uh, you know he's done a couple out calls now to people's houses and so so that's good for him too you know keeps him busy. That's great. Uh, that's I'm cool. glad to hear that it keeps on growing on the island. Yeah, I mean we've got all sorts of plans, especially when we look at Shimanus, um, You know uh, our friend Sean up there with his two different arcades and and now the Nanaimo people are starting to hear about Shimanus. We're starting to get some inroads into there. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I think the future is, is really bright. Um, I do wish the future would get here quicker than it seems to want to get here. Um, but, yes. uh, but, but, you know, I, I think, you know, safety and, and, and people's health definitely takes precedent over everything. So, uh, so I understand I'm still frustrated, but I understand. That's right. <laughs> um, so, and, and what do you see yourself doing going forward? Like as things start to, uh, to level out and and things are coming up. Yeah. Um, what 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 does uh, the future hold for Brennan? Yeah, well, I mean, in the near future, um, we're just looking at you know, hopefully we can open back up uh, at least to the capacity where we can have people come in and play games again. Because for a long time there, we had to just even turn off the games while right. we had people in the restaurants. So, you know, it's 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 tough, but. It's uh, it's also an opportunity, I think. I mean, one of the things that we're doing at Revival Brocade is is looking at expanding right now while we have this time, and that way we can, you know, expand the arcade as well as the overall business, and uh, that'll be really exciting uh, this year to see to see them expand and to see the arcade get bigger, and and hopefully that means you know we can do a little bit more with the pinball league as soon as things get going again. Awesome. Uh, that is good news, and yeah, when when businesses allow it, this is something that I think uh, different arcades can take advantage of. Also, getting their machines back, you know, to uh, as close to uh, fully functional as they can, and things like that, because you know That's things right. aren't getting played. Um, interesting, interesting. Okay, uh, Brennan. So, um, are there have you had a chance to play any new machines during this uh, during this sort of pause? Yeah, the newest machine we got over at Revival Brewcade is the Rick and Morty by Spooky Pinball. And okay. uh, it's a very unique game in that it uh, 
it's got the slam save on the on the left side there. That's one of the <laughs> coolest features, I think. Uh, that and the and the ball save timer is one of the coolest things I think that that they came up with for that machine, and just the way they they utilize that feature with the different modes. So that game uh, has probably been the the newest uh, pinball machine that I've come across, um, and it certainly is one of the more unique games that have come out in the last few years. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. I've seen the layout and I've seen a little bit of streaming out of Powerhouse because they have one as well. Um, and yeah, I haven't had a chance to get on the machine yet. I, I look forward to that. Of course, I'm still uh, looking to get a chance to get on GNR at some point. Uh, I, I've only seen video of that and that game looks uh, yeah. I've only seen video of that one too, but uh, I, I've heard that there is going to be someone in town that gets one so i'll have to put my feelers out and see what i can do <laughs> there you go well definitely let us know if you uh if you get a chance on it and we're we're always looking for uh opinions and uh, help people out because you know again with the island we're a little bit isolated and we don't always see new games as fast as some right. other areas do like as fast as the mainland would but uh right. powerhouse has done a real good job of of getting new games in and and uh you know when when uh, when things allow. Um, so, but yeah, GNR definitely has a little bit of interest to me, and uh, we might actually try to get someone to do a review of one that's had a chance to play it. So we'll we'll see how that works out. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, that'd be yeah, awesome. That's very cool. Well, my friend, you know, as always, it's it's been great talking to you. Uh, it's been great catching up. Uh, it's too long. Um, I look forward to the time again that uh, we can get together and we can uh, play some pinball together and uh you know get rid of this other stuff and uh and i look forward to actually coming to calgary and hanging out with you and, and the crew down there it uh yeah definitely is a great town that's to for take sure you around town and show you some of the spots yeah i look forward to that my friend all the best brennan and thank you very much all right dan thank you cheers Hi, Daryl here for Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast. On today's uh, tech segment, we're actually going to look at buying uh, machines. With me in the studio is Pinball Dave. How you doing, Dave? Hey, buddy. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. People are wanting to buy pinball machines. People that have not bought them before, or maybe on their second or third. And the machines are very expensive these days, as people know. Brand new machines are, are, are crazy, so people are looking for the older machines. And I guess what we're trying to talk about today is... When you go to buy a machine, and I know you've bought quite a few machines in your uh, in your time. Yep. What do you look for when you walk into a a, a sale? Uh, well, I look for playfieldware, and I'm talking a lot of playfieldware. I don't mind a little bit, but a lot of playfieldware is one thing I'll back away from. And cabinet damage. Like if somebody's like, "Have you seen the pinball where half the pinball's been painted on one side?" That's a one another thing because now you got to redeck look or restencil a pinball. I've come across a few actually. People yeah. just paint them straight black or gray. I've even seen white. Yeah, it's a real shame because even faded original paint is better than a paint over. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a lot of work, more than most people realize. And uh, yeah. and playfield damage is, uh, you know, I fixed a few playfields. It's very difficult to do. Uh, replacing a playfield is extremely expensive. Uh, takes a lot of work. So it's something that a new pinball owner may try to avoid. On the other hand, a good player's game 
with some playfield damage. It's something you probably will have to accommodate and appreciate. I think it comes down to the bang for the buck. I think that's what it'll come down to when you're buying a pinball. I mean, it's just that's that's what it's what it's gonna do is uh, depending on how much wear is on a machine and what you're paying or what type of machine you're getting. From my point of view, what I often look for is the board's condition in the machine. Make sure, as we've talked about before, there's no board corrosion. And further to that, that the machine actually works. I've seen some advertisements saying machine lights up and needs a small amount of work. If the machine doesn't fire up, uh, that's a bad sign, especially for a novice buyer. You don't want to get into that. And an older machine too, because you know, sometimes you just can't get the parts. Like a board, some boards are just not available. That's true. So yeah, I'm with you there. So one thing I do, and you can probably add to this, Dave, is a, is a bit of a checklist when I go to buy a, a, a game. Uh, initially, of course, I turn it on. Does it work? Uh, do the displays light up? Are there missing displays? Uh, Broken plastics. Exactly, yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, back glass, you know, if it's been flaky or the translate, if it's, you know, dull or whatever. Yeah, that's an excellent point, especially on older machines. The uh, the back glass is another thing that's impossible to fix. If uh, And a lot of them do flake. Uh, they've been stored in a garage or uh, an environment where the temperature fluctuates. Uh, it's kind of funny you say that because I've seen machines that have been stored for years and you find, like, mouse droppings in them. And, oh, that's true. Yeah, like, I've come across that many times where I've seen collectors selling machines, and uh, there's been 15 or 20 machines in a, in a barn, and, uh, yeah, you'd be amazed what you find in it. Well, I found some with bird droppings. In fact, I found one machine that was pristine under the playfield, but the uh, the back box was almost completely destroyed with the acid bird droppings. Uh, it was a bit horrible to clean up. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I've been there, and I've seen it actually with, uh, with mice. They chew through the wiring harness. And of course, one of the weirdest things which I shared around was a uh, an ancient bottle of, or sorry, a packet of jam that that had been preserved <laughs> in the back of the machine and uh, partially open. Oh, lovely! Yeah, it, it tasted awful, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. Oh, jeez! And I actually, I've seen pasta in the machine. How was that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not, not, not too good. Yeah, you should add cheese to it. Yeah, well, it's funny what what's under the lock bar. I could write a book. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think uh, as we talked about too, it's sort of what um, it's it's a budgetary thing when you're looking at a, uh, a a machine to buy, and there are compromises you'll have to make. There's very few pristine machines out there, uh, unless you're a collector. So you kind of have to target: Are you going to be a player? Are you a collector where that values? A lot of the aesthetics, they can, if it's a machine that's perfect uh, playfield and perfect cabinet, pretty much every mechanical thing can be replaced in it. Yeah. But again, uh, with the price and the American uh, dollar being still yeah. fairly high, it's, yeah, it's an expensive proposition. Yeah, it's a big factor in it. But yeah, I think it's what you want and what you're, you're you know, you're going to look at a machine that what you want. So if I'm going to go look at a machine that I'm looking for, it, for me, I look at just basically, if it fires up, and even if it doesn't fire up, actually, I bought machines that just don't even work. I just look at the general condition overall. I'll take a visual inspection on the boards, making sure there's no boards missing, you know. But I have bought machines with boards missing because I know they're available. So it depends what year machine that I'm looking at for what's missing or what's not missing. You know what I mean? Oh, I know exactly what you mean. I have seen completely missing boards, audio boards, for some reason, are the ones that I've seen most partly because they're harder to get yeah and, and quite valuable on a spider-man 
that's, that's right. right. Yeah. The other thing I do in a checklist is, and this is something people should be familiar with, check the manual before you go to buy a machine and go through the diagnostics. It's a kind of a, it sounds scary to some people, but it will tell you the condition of every solenoid, uh, every switch. And switch errors aren't bad, but if you've got a solenoid that's not working, well, it could be anything from the bad solenoid all the way back to electronics. Mm -hmm. And it may, you know, influence how you how you buy it, what you're going to expect to pay uh, pay for it. But I yeah. mean, if you're going to do some research when you're buying a machine, just check online and see what parts are available for the machine you're mm -hmm. purchasing. Yep. To see no, that, what's out good. there. I mean, that's that would be a good one. Um, yeah. Yeah, some are extremely common, and you're right. Some are very, very difficult to get. Yeah, like some machines I bought, and I thought parts were readily available for it, and I, I realized, no, there's no parts for it. So, yeah, I've had stuff that I've had in storage for over 10 years now that's still sitting there. Another thing people do, too, is they, they turn their eye towards modification, and one of the, the most common ones is LEDing the machine. Yeah. And uh, you may walk in there and you've spent your, uh, you, know, you know, your entire bankroll on the machine and then you're going to LED it and find that it's probably going to cost you, you know, $300 to do it. Yep. Uh, just keep that in mind. Yep. Uh, that, that, that is an extra expense. Well worth it, I think, especially if oh, you want to Oh, I agree with you. I have to 100% agree with you. I, I prefer the LEDs on the machines. But definitely, you'd be starting with, with parts and, and oh, yeah. repairs. Plastics, everything yeah. like that. It's also good if you can get a machine that someone has gone through, uh, a, a hopefully a knowledgeable person, and I may touch on that in a, in a bit, it can be an advantage. They've put a lot, it's like a car, they put a lot of money into it, um, expensive parts, uh, new solenoids, uh, flippers are strong. Uh, that, that's some, a good thing to get. Uh, you might want to look, though, a bit carefully. Sometimes people do what, what are commonly known as hacks, and mm -hmm. especially electronics, where uh, unless you're... you're you're used to electronics, you might not notice them, but some are obvious. You'll see wiring that's definitely not matching what the wiring should be, uh, not using proper uh, connectors. Yeah, you can see, you can notice it like if somebody's run a hot lead to something. Unless exactly. it's on the back of the board, which, I mean, that's, that's I mean, you can use a C discoloration on the board, though, knowing. That's a great thing to look for on a board, too. Uh, if it's seen a lot of heat, it may be uh, uh, prone to failure as well, as well as the corrosion that we touched on on earlier. So a whole bunch of things to look at, but I think it, it starts to boil down to what compromises are, are you prepared to make? What skill level do you have to fix how the machine? How bad do you want the machine? And like, how bad do you want the machine? Yeah. yeah, like if it's something that you grew up with when you were a kid and you finally found it, then well, you're Well, I, I, I would buy a beaten up Twilight Zone any day of the year. I think anybody would buy a beaten up Twilight Zone. Yeah. <laughs> If you know a friend that uh, has a pinball machine that knows a little bit about something, bring them along with you. You know, four eyes are better than two eyes. Great tip, too. And also, if you uh, contact or are a member of, say, the Vancouver Island, you know, the pinball groups, they're a great source of people. Um, people are always trading. and Yeah, and, and then ask yeah. somebody, like, if they don't know who's got the machine that uh, you're interested in buying, ask if they come along with you. Yep, yeah, and then, for sure. Uh, like I said, you know, two, uh, four eyes are better than two. And, you know, you just don't, the problem is you just don't know what's out there anymore. Well, thanks a lot, Dave. Some great tips, whether you're the first time buyer or have lots of experience with purchasing machines. In a future segment, we'll be talking about how do you buy a machine when you can't see it? What do you funnel on a classified ad uh, off the internet? What do you ask the seller? What information do you need to know? And how do you get it to your door? Doc, you don't just walk into a store and, and buy plutonium. Did you rip that off? They wanted me to build them a bomb. So I took their plutonium and in turn gave them a shiny bomb casing full of used pinball machine parts. Come on!
Uh, hello, it's Dan Bitterlich with the Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast. And just recently, I had a friend uh, contact me and mention that uh, they had purchased the new JJP Guns N' Roses and sent me some pictures, actually, and uh, it looked so awesome. I thought our listeners would uh, enjoy hearing a little bit about the game. And uh, first off, uh, Bob, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, Dan. How are you? I'm, I'm really well. And uh, <laughs> so where did you get the game from? I got this at uh, Player One Amusements uh, in Toronto, uh, Jerry, and uh, and got my uh, my my machine as quickly as humanly possible. I think I picked it up in uh, the beginning of December. Yeah, yeah, I remember. You're right. It's about uh, three weeks ago that you sent those pictures. Yeah. You know, with with the, with the box in the back of the uh, truck and. Uh, and I was sitting there saying, yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. And you were pretty much the first person that I knew, at least north of the border here, that uh, had one. So uh, that, that's awesome. And, uh, of course, that un- unboxing is always a lot of fun. I'm sure that uh, you've done a few of those. But uh, this one, I think, is pretty special, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's one of my uh, one of my favorite bands. I did have a Daddy East uh, um uh, Guns and Roses, uh, but uh, I sold that a little while ago and kind of missed it. And uh, when this one was talked about and came about, uh, I was super excited to get on board. And uh, as soon as I knew they were making it, uh, I was one of the top, uh, one of the first guys at uh, Player One to put my name in to get uh, to get the game. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, so when uh, after you've got it unboxed and all set up, and uh, I, I know that I've only seen video. Um, right. I know that this has got a lot of lights in it. Yeah. It's really, there's a presentation, like it's almost more of an art piece or, well, I mean, it's a pinball machine as well, but it, the, uh, where JGP has gone with the presentation looks pretty spectacular. What were your first, uh, responses to it when you, when you had it plugged in and all lit up? Uh, unbelievable. I mean, I've never seen anything like this, uh, this before the, the light show, the, is just, uh, is spectacular. Um, they, they definitely, uh, hit it out of the park uh, with this machine it is uh they wanted a concert footage kind of game like a concert experience kind of right. game and this is definitely um a concert experience type of game um the light show is it, like you said is like it's nothing i've ever seen before it is it is absolutely spectacular and i would assume the sound systems along the same lines too because that yeah. makes sense right yeah yeah sound is pretty good and you know me i like my games pretty loud so oh, i was uh, gonna say it, it's good you're out in the country because i'm sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I have. Yeah, I got it rocking. That's for sure. Uh, I look forward to being able to check that out. So, um, gameplay itself, uh, when you know the first time you were up uh, and, and playing it, um, does the game sort of tend to anything else? Like, is there a game that that you that it sort of seems familiar to, or like layout wise or anything? Yeah, I don't think I've played anything quite like this. Uh, it is. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in this game, a lot of stuff that I haven't figured out yet since uh, you know I've had it a short period of time, but uh, nothing like I've ever uh, I've ever played before. And I might be a little bit biased because I'm a huge Guns N' Roses fan, but uh, it's it's it, I really can't compare it to any game I've played. That is cool. I mean, I think that's that's actually really good too. That that somebody who is a fan is getting the game early. I mean, I I think that's dynamite. Um, yeah. You know, because I mean, there's a lot of people that are saying that it's an impressive show, but not necessarily into the band. But it's like, and it's great that it draws them in. But I'm glad that a, a real fan is also satisfied. That's a that that that's you know a double double check mark almost. Uh, yeah, and yeah, and another thing that really impressed me was. Uh, 
you know, obviously it's licensed by by GNR, but also Fender, Gibson, um, uh, Vader drumsticks. I mean, the the licensing for 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 all of that is is on the game, which I I don't I you know I I own a couple of you know I have a Kiss and uh, I had another Guns and Roses, the Daddy East one before, and I've never seen anything that's been licensed by, you know, all 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 the guitar manufacturers, sure. um, you know drums and stuff which i thought was was pretty unique and i'm sure it cost them a few bucks but um i i think it it just adds to the game that's for sure well for sure it completes the package right like i mean yeah. that that makes all the sense and when they're going to that level of detail i think yeah. that's one of the things that jjp um probably more than any of the other manufacturers really does is they will go the extra mile you pay for it but mm-hmm. um but you know i mean at least there's that option um yep. you know uh it isn't just a topper or something else it's a complete package and and that's really cool now uh just to the side a little bit um mm-hmm. so you've played most of the other jjp titles yes um and and you've owned a few of them at least uh how do you find the play that way is it uh is it faster than most of the other games or around the same speed or yeah it's it's pretty fast i i, I would uh, i would put it up there with uh, again i've had uh, i've had a wizard of oz dialed in pirates of the caribbean uh, hobbit and uh i would say this is probably the fastest game that uh that i've played out of out of all those J- uh, jersey jacks that's for sure and that, and that sort of makes sense too because this is a standard body right or yes it's it a is. wide body it's, it's, no, standard, it's a standard okay Yep. Yeah. Again, you can't tell those things from videos. That's the problem of uh, <clears throat> being in a fairly remote place like I am. And uh, if the games aren't around, we've got no ability to actually get onto them and play them. Um, yeah. Now, how does it play as far as multi-ball stuff goes like that? Uh, uh, yeah, there's there's a few different multi-balls you can get. They're fairly easy. They come a little bit too, uh, too often for my liking. So, of course, I adjust the settings a little bit. Um, you know, for the casual player like my wife, uh, she loves it because, you know, she can hit a few, you know, hit a few uh, pop bumpers or hit a couple of targets and she can start a multi-ball. So there's basically uh, uh, four small multi-balls, which is uh, lights, pyro, amp and crowd. And that's by hitting certain um, targets or doing certain things on the play field. Very easy to do. Um, for example, like the crowd. The, the skill shot is a soft plunge. It's uh, similar to Twilight Zone. Um, okay. Yeah, you, you know, you if you if you can get a one skill shot, then get a sc- super skill shot. That'll light your your crowd uh, uh, multi ball. And mm-hmm. the next time you plunge, it'll start it. So it's fairly simple to do. It's not too too hard. Um, pyro, there's just a little uh, uh, target or a little switch. Uh, up around the top of the play field by the pop bumpers. You hit that a few times, it spells pyro. As soon as you do that, starts a multi, another multi-ball. Um, amps is up on the, there's a there's a, a bigger play field, or a, an upper play field. Right. If you hit the target up there, it starts that one, and so on and so forth. So okay. it's fairly simple to do, um, to start the rest of the multi-ball. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was saying that's good, though. But like you're saying, they, you can dial them in as far as making them more difficult or less difficult, which make, you know, it, in my mind is always a good idea for a machine so that, uh, so that as you say, the casual player can play as well as, as somebody who's uh, more experienced. So that's cool. Yep. Yeah, it's very good. And then uh, to start the, um, your, your, your album uh, multi-balls, you just got to, you got to start by, by, uh, 
getting all the the band members which again is fairly simple you can dial in the uh the the options to make it a little bit harder mm-hmm. uh, and uh the thing i really like about it is for each before you start each um album or song on an album a song multi-ball we'll call it um yeah. you can lock your you can lock balls so up in the guitar neck on the, the le and the ce they have an upper play field that's uh, that's got uh, slashes gibson and that's where you lock your balls okay. and once you if you lock you know one ball two ball three ball four ball five ball or six ball then start your song you'll start that mode or that song uh, with a six ball multi-ball or a five ball multi-ball or however many balls you got locked in there, which I find is pretty cool. I don't think I've seen that on, on another game. I might be mistaken, but um, I find that really cool because you know how you can get six balls going uh, almost on every song, which is uh, it's, it's quite hectic, but uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And, and of course, then you've got the, the, the video too of the performances related to that song as well going on yeah and when they did the concert experience it's it will say it's at a level of you know a a fairly good level once you start one of those multi-balls and you go into the concert experience it ramps up the uh the the volume automatically and then the light show begins for every song it's totally it's totally different for every song and there's a there's a there's a ton of songs on here and uh it's just it's it's spectacular uh the first time that even a buddy of mine that came over to to play it, he was just blown away just by the light show and the sound. It's uh, it's it's like something I've never I've never seen before in a pinball machine. Well, that's that's awesome. You might have just sold a few more machines. Uh, JJP should be sending you something. I think send me something. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Help her brother out. That's right. But uh, no, that's really cool. And, and uh, I was thinking of when you were saying there, you know, that you can go from three to six balls locked for the multi-ball. Yep. These are physical balls, right? So you're trapping each one, like, or it's locked Correct. physically. You're yeah. you're trapping you're trapping each one unless you start another multi-ball. Right. Uh, like like I said before, the the pyro crowder, then it'll it'll drop it from there. But yeah, it's there's no physical lock. It's all, I mean, there's no virtual lock. It's all it's all a physical lock. Now I I think the SC is a little bit different. I don't think it has that. I think it, if I'm not mistaken, I think that is uh, um, um, virtual. Not a yeah, that's a virtual lock. Yeah, and and then sometimes you have to do that. I was just thinking it's a little bit of a playback to the. Um, to the data east one because of course you could go with a three to six ball multi-ball there with the yes. band members too the, except yeah. those were virtual um yes. but th- i thought that was actually that was the first thing that sort of popped in my head when you were describing it i was thinking yeah and you're right yeah that's sort of a throwback to that because there's very few games i mean there are games but there are very few that let you decide when to go in and out aerosmith's another one that i can think of you know hey do you want to do a three ball multi-ball or do you want to go for more and and yeah. and, and that's a cool that, that is a really cool feature um yeah. well that, well this has been dynamite bob um i i want to thank you a lot uh we've given uh, the folks a little bit of insight it's always difficult uh, in an audio format to to go you know, overly deep into the game, but uh, I think they've got a feel for it now. I think there's going to be some excitement, and uh, I'm really happy that you've got one. I'm really irritated that it's going to take me a long time before I can get to your place to to check it out. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, but but I, that time will come, right? You know, we yes. uh, we're we're all working towards it, and and uh, I definitely look forward to that. But uh, congrats on the game. Um, I'm sure Zuzi's enjoying it too. She um, is. And, uh, and yeah, it's just been uh, very cool catching up with you again. Yeah, it's been great to talk to you again. Uh, I look forward to seeing you soon once all this, uh, this nasty stuff is over and uh, we can get back to playing some pinball.
Oh, for sure, buddy. You know it as soon as I can. Thanks, Bob, for that insight into the game. Uh, Daryl, what did you think? I think it sounds like a really interesting game and really sophisticated, too. Uh, what else have you heard about it? I haven't heard a ton, but I had, there was a couple different features that uh, I did find interesting that uh, we've since found out about. One of them was there are a couple movable spotlights, uh, RGB spotlights, that basically will do crowd-type uh, tracking, um, and it's different for every song. That sounds like a really cool feature. And then as well, there's patches that you collect as you're going through the game that basically are different sort of segments. And I think that really we've uh, probably come across uh, JJP's Cornerstone game. This looks really impressive. Well, I really look forward to seeing it in person and, and playing this. Agreed. Oh, the prairie lights are burning bright. Chinook wind is moving in. Tomorrow night I'll be Alberta bound. Well, hello. We're back again with Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast. I'm Dan Bitterlich. And today I'm talking with uh, Derek Thompson from Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, Derek, uh, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's, it's really good. And uh, this is all part of our uh, Alberta-centric episode that we're going to be doing. Um, so you're beginning in uh, competitive pinball was a little different than most people's. Uh, why don't you let us know how you started? Yeah, so I didn't know much about the competitive scene at all um, back in 2013 when I actually went into my first uh, competitive pinball tournament. I ended up buying a, a pinball machine uh, in 2012, which was a Paragon uh, pinball machine, and sort of got back into it after a number of years of not playing at all. And I was just, you know, I was on the internet one day and I was like, man, you know what? There's got to be some type of pinball competition. And I've always wanted to gauge myself to see, you know, exactly how, how good was I. Sure. So d decided to go ahead and put a, a, a tournament on the bucket list. And the first one that I came up with was this little tournament called Pinberg. Oh, wow. <laughs> so um, I went ahead and I took a look at it and I was like okay this is in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania I've never been there before and decided to go ahead and uh, sign up for the event and that was back in the day where you didn't have to push uh, F4 all the time in order to, to get yeah. a ticket to the event well this would have been back in Carnegie right when they uh, in the original Papa headquarters it was in the yeah it was in the Papa headquarters and yeah such a cool little place mm -hmm. so I went ahead and uh, purchased the ticket and and, and got in and uh Flew out to uh, to Pittsburgh uh, for the event and not knowing anybody, not a soul, uh, not knowing exactly the format or, or what I was actually doing uh, at the event. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ended up, you know, back in the day, they actually had a shuttle uh, that, that you'd go on to and that would take you to the event. And, right. just before we got, and just before we got onto the shuttle, I actually was having breakfast and it just so happened that one of the first people that I talked to, uh, you know, down at breakfast was actually Bo and Cairns. <laughs> so not really knowing anybody. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think I recognized them for maybe watching a couple of videos or, or something uh, on the internet before I went. So I actually did a little bit of research before I went. Um, but it was quite funny running into him and had a great conversation with a very approachable guy. And, yes. um, you know, very, very, very passionate about the pinball industry. So it was really cool to end up meeting with him. And then uh, I end up getting onto the shuttle. And once I'm on the shuttle, 
um, I turned back to me and there was a gentleman that was be, uh, behind me. I said, uh, hi, my name's Derek. Uh, I'm from uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And he goes, uh, really? I'm from uh, Edmonton, Alberta as well. What? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> just an unbelievable coincidence that uh, the only two people that signed up for the tournament uh, in Edmonton and both our first time uh, in, in Pinburg uh, uh, actually met up together uh, on the shuttle going to uh, the facility and ended up sitting uh, you know beside each other pretty well yeah yeah exactly so are you still uh do you still in contact with that person or is that person still active in pinball as well yeah so we ended up uh, playing a lot during that day and you know the, you know when, when you get to the pop-up facility and you've never been there before there's you know like 400 pinball machines there and number of them I never played before so you know me and him actually hung out the whole weekend and got to you know get to know each other and, and ended up playing a number of the games as well um afterwards uh, we ended up uh you know having what you'd call pin nights and so um you know got together with a couple collectors in the area so between me and him we and then I bought a pinball machine off of someone else well that was three of us and I think the first pin night we had there was like four of us that were there just went to my house, played some pins, and then eventually the group grew and grew and grew until eventually we had about 20 people uh, at pin nights, and we spanned them through about uh, two years uh, from the day that we started them. So that's where um, I started getting into my mind and my thinking that, hey, you know what, uh, maybe I should create a, a league and, uh, and, and really start something and maybe start a competitive league, and, and that's how diehard pinball sort of was born. Uh, was okay, so that. that was Die Hard. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's just funny that, um, A, that I ended up buying a pinball machine in 2012. B, sure. ended up, you know, finding someone in the area that actually went to the same tournament that I did in Pinburg. And then, you know, C, ended up being able to gather a bunch of people that were enthusiasts, um, you know, in our city uh, to be able to get them together and, you know, start collaborating and, and and playing at each other's houses and and starting to form a bit of a, a group uh, to go ahead and you know start and play pinball together yeah it, it's sort of the the you have to get the impetus going right like you need to get some momentum and that's a lot of it i know um randy whiteford uh, uh created tcpl in kitchener waterloo which was sort of the second league in toronto or in Ontario, Southern Ontario, and they exactly the same story. Four people, like first night was four people, and I think the max they had out in that first year, and I joined towards the end of that year, was maybe seven. I think we maxed out at forty-three or something, um, which was insane because this was people's houses, and um, you know we were doing it all in one shift, not like London where they broke it up and did different things. So it, it it's just sort of an interesting story because it it is fairly similar to what I've seen happen. Um, and, and even what we tried here in Victoria is the first first day was seven people and it just didn't go anywhere. And then we we got fortunate when with uh, a commercial site and uh, were able to sort of really explode it. But uh, that, yeah, that is pretty and, cool. And that's and, what happened with us as well, too, is that, you know, after the pin nights and then, you know, starting to create the pinball league, we actually had a location uh, that came up, uh, Denison Hall. And that ended up being sort of the catalyst, I think. You know, I, I approached Denison Hall. I said, hey, you know, you guys have 10 pinball machines uh, in your area in here. Would you like us to maybe, you know, start a league? 
um, in, in your facility. And they were all for it. They, you know, gave us a little bit of sponsorship um, to go ahead and get that started. And then ultimately, um, you know, I started, you know, putting out registrations to see, you know, who would be interested. I had no clue, you know, how popular this would be. And we ended up having, I think, 24 people in our first year. So, you know, it, it grew organically, um, you know, from just hanging out with collectors and, you know, and, and doing that thing. And then eventually got more into, I would say, the competition side of things and a, a little bit more seriousness when it came to, you know, actually, okay, let's take the scores down and let's actually, you know, figure out, you know, who's, who's in the standings and that type of stuff uh, that goes along with that. So, yeah, it's, it's been a really cool journey. And uh, when I look back on it, just how ironic everything was and how everything sort of fit into place uh, where we are today. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, for most people, when they talk about the journey, this really, truly was the beginning of your journey. I mean, you've got a couple other very major pieces that uh, come along after Die Hard. Well, I mean, Die Hard still exists, but, uh, you know, you've got uh, both... uh, you know, you're a creator of a show, Yegpin, which I'd say probably is the largest pinball show in Canada or that in the CNE. Like, you know, I, I think you're probably a larger pinball show. They're sort of at an exhibition, so there's more people just roaming around. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the, in, in both great shows, by the way. Um, yeah, it's quite funny with the Yegpin because, you know, when Die Hard Pinball started going, we were in our second year. And, you know, of course, me, I always got to, you know, I always got to step it up. Always, always <laughs> have to figure out another way to, <laughs> to, to get people involved and, and to try to, you know, take it to the next level. And what I did was is I have three really close friends that, um, that I approached. Um, I brought them over to my house. Um, I uh, made them dinner. I brought their wives over and uh, pitched them the idea of, you know, be really cool if we put together a, a show in Edmonton and, uh, you know, we, we could get, you know, all these collectors together, we know a whole bunch, we could get, you know, bring them in the machines and then put on a show. What do you guys think? And I was so lucky that they went along with it and said yes. And uh, that's how Yagpin uh, got created. It took us a little while to come up with the name. There was Pinyag. There was, there was all sorts of weird, <laughs> crazy names. Sure. That we came up with to try to, to try to figure out what it was going to be. But in yep. the end, um, you know, it just fit. Uh, you know, Yagpin was kind of kind of where, where we stuck with. And and that's how the show started. It showed it. It started in a in a rundown hotel in the basement uh, where we had to go ahead and lug uh, 75 pinball machines, break them all down, put wow. them down in an elevator, haul them into the hull, build them back up. And then, you know, uh, put the show on. And it was quite funny because um, the the Tuesday before we were going to have the event, they actually had a small flood in the, oh. in, in the facility. So we're all going, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And it's like, okay, we're bringing all these machines. And if this happens again and damages the machines, what are we going to do? And, you know, back then we didn't have event insurance and all that type of stuff, right, that right. You know, we kind of do now with a great big show. So. You know, it was just, it was the start and it was, it was one of those things where uh, we got through the weekend and, you know, a lot of people had a really, really good time and we were able to go ahead and use that momentum to go ahead and start planning for bigger and bigger shows uh, in the future until we got to, you know, where we're at today where, you know, we have over 200 competitors uh, that are in the pinball tournament themselves and over 1500 people that attended through the weekend. 
it's just amazing um yeah it's it, it is definitely a show i know we had i think on the island at least four that were going to be flying out um and it might have even been more and actually a couple sort of ex-islanders that were in calgary that were coming up so about at least half a dozen and obviously a lot of people are very sad with what happened with uh covid and and that um how are things looking for 2021 does is everything sort of in place or uh you know with 2021 you know it, we're going to make the final go no go on january 1st Okay. Um, it doesn't look good, you know, it, just the way that, you know, everything is around in the world today. Sure. Uh, the, I, the IFPA still has not sanctioned events itself as well. And I don't know if people are ready um, to go ahead and, and start going to any major shows, even if things were to turn around in a month's time. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be very, very tough for us to go ahead and, and, and do the show in 2021. Um, there's there's absolutely plans for 2022 and big plans for 2022 and I can't divulge them. Nope. But nope, if, if 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 you guys are are really 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 interested in competition pinball, you are gonna love what we have in store for 2022. It's going to be huge. So I'll just leave that as a little tidbit for all of, all of your uh, callers out there and, and all the people that are interested in your podcast because it will be great. Well, that's excellent. I mean, I understand that. Yeah, spring does seem rather early. I know um, I'm I'm questioned uh, at times here by the arcade owners here of, you know, when do you think you can start sanctioning stuff? And I've had the same responses. I mean, you know, back in September, I was hoping for January, but realistically now it's sort of like, yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, and, yeah, and I, I think, and with scale too, with what you've got, like, I mean, when I'm talking setting something up it's rather small when you're talking a show the size of yegpin then uh then yeah you've you've definitely got to look forward i I can see that point for sure yeah and that's the big thing is that you know there's a lot of you know even on stern circuit there's a lot of tournaments that are just you know pure pinball tournaments Mm -hmm. uh whereas we have kind of the whole show you know with with yegpin and that's where it's kind of the difference because you got to line everything up you got to book your facility you know, you just can't have it at a, you know, a hotel lounge or whatever you want to do and be able to just, okay, well, let's let's just move it two months from now. All of this stuff is pre-planned. It takes us a good five months to go ahead and plan that show. And we really have to line everything up properly so that, you know, we can do registrations. We can, you know, set everything up so that it runs the way we want it to run. And we always want to make sure that it's professional. We always want to make sure that people are going to have a good time. They're spending their hard-earned money. They're coming from all places, uh, you know, it, you know, everywhere across Canada, um, parts of the U.S. You know, it, it is an international show for us. So we want to make sure that it goes off well. That's excellent. And, and I think professional is something that, you know, when you said uh, when you said professional, I think that makes a lot of sense because it sounds exactly like what you're doing. Um, you know, you're looking at the big picture and, and in the end, we'll get back to pinball. We will. And, and you want this show to be what it's been and bigger and, and that's the right way to do it. So, so hats off to you. That's, uh, that's actually pretty cool. Now you've got something else going on as well. Like I say, you're a man of many talents here. Um, you've got an arcade that you are a part owner of as well. Um, yes. can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I wear too many hats, unfortunately. So, uh. <laughs> Like I say, who would have thought that in uh, 2012 I'd be in the position that I am today? But, um, yeah, it it wasn't enough to, you know, start a league. It wasn't enough to go ahead and, you know, create a a major pinball show uh, in Canada. Had to go one more step, right? 
Right. And, and the next step was I really wanted to build the community and I really wanted to have location pinball and to have a facility there uh, that would be a really nice professional facility for our competition pinball leagues. Um, so we went ahead and, and we created Arcadium Retro Arcade, um, got together with three other partners and, um, you know, we, we all had expertise um, in, in running uh, certain parts of the business. And it's worked out really well that, you know, we've got uh, 40 pinball machines in there. We've got uh, another 40 uh, arcade, uh, classic arcade machines. And uh, it's kind of works on a admission. So you don't have to do any coin drop. You just right. walk in the door, you pay your admission fee to get in, and everything is set up on free play. Yeah, love it. Yeah, it's just, it's a really cool concept. Uh, people love it in league. One of the things I was going to say with the fact that you are on free play, um, you know, with a set charge, what I love about that is practice and everything else becomes a much easier thing to do, right? Yeah, and, and I think a lot of the, especially the, the amateur or beginner players, um, you know, when they come into the facility and sometimes they're held by the loony and it's like mm -hmm. they put a loony in a machine, they lose it in a minute and they're like, yep. you know what, I don't want to put another one in, right? Whereas in our facility, it's like, okay, well, if you lose that ball in another minute, guess what? Just press start. And you can try again, and, and, and it gets them hooked, right? And, and, and they're not so worried about losing all their money when they go in. Well, yeah, and, it, and it's, yeah, because it's fixed cost. I mean, the other thing that you're getting there, too, is, hey, I can try some weird stuff here. And I don't have to worry that, you know, oh, you know, um, you know like for when you're talking about amateurs or, or beginning players, you know, doing catches, doing various pinball skills, they can learn them. Like for people that have machines at home, that's easy. You can do it whenever you want. But for somebody coming in, it's sort of hard for them to say, yeah, but that's not really, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel like I'm trying to win a game. I'm not trying to do anything. And I just put a dollar in. So I always think that when you can get situations like that, that you're really helping that beginning or intermediate player that's trying to build those skills up. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, yeah, and I think you're right, because not everybody can afford to have a pinball machine in their house. I'm, you know, I'm one of the lucky few that, you know, are, are able to do that. But there's a lot of people out there that don't have that opportunity. So that was part of our mission as well, too, within Arcadia Retro Arcade is we wanted to expose people, um, you know, to pinball, to classic arcade, but also wanted to expose them to competition pinball as well. So, you know, within the facility, we have a full streaming room that's in there. Uh, we have a wireless rig uh, that's set up in there. All of our events are live streamed, um, you know, for people to see. So, you know, all that type of stuff is trying to bring more exposure you know, to our hobby that I love um, and to really get people engaged into competition pinball. Because what I found is, is that people are a little bit afraid of, of competition pinball, like, well, I'm not very good. And so the way that we set things up is, is we have different divisions uh, that you have and mm -hmm. everybody plays together all throughout the year. And then in the playoffs, they get split out in their skill level. And then from there, there's cash and prizes for every single one of those divisions uh, that are there. And I think that really builds up, um, you know, their um, their confidence. And, yep. you know, and if you win something, say, in the D division one year, well, now you're shooting for the C division in the next year. Right. And trying to improve and improve as you go along. No, I think that's smart. Like, I mean, again, trying to find that compromise, um, you know, between just full out competition and making sure that people are enjoying it. Um, nobody wants to be thrown into an A division when they've got, you know, C or D division skill. 
that that's no fun for them either, right? So it, it it's good that you're addressing that, and and uh, and yeah, that's cool. I didn't I didn't have the full background of of how is that Die Hard that's playing in Arcadium, or is that the it is. So okay. uh, Die Hard is affiliated. Um, so ultimately, um, Arcadium uh, is on its own, and it's, it has its own owners in it. And then Die Hard Pinball is a nonprofit uh, society within um, uh, with, within Alberta. And so we've affiliated with Die Hard Pinball. Um, mm-hmm. We gave them the room. Uh, they've got all their streaming equipment that's in there. They're able to go ahead and run their events uh, out of there. And um, yeah, it's it's a nice relationship. Uh, between us two, and we're able to go ahead and, and run those things, uh, you know, pretty seamlessly uh, because we do have the right facility, and you know, all of the streaming is on like the 86-inch TV uh, that's on oh, that nice. facility, and there's two other 55-inch TVs right beside it, so that shows the standings and all that. So it's a really professional setup, um, yeah. and it just invites you to not just play in there. But also maybe to watch some of the action as well while you're there. Oh yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, we're seeing more of it now too. The uh, powerhouse here has started streaming, and uh, and uh, you know they're seeing you know a bit of an uptick, especially now with COVID and with uh, locally here on the island, most of your crates have had to close for a two-week period. Um, it still lets them get their message out, and you know uh, we've got local players watching to try to you know improve their skills on on various games um and at 40 i just uh just i'd never touched on that but 40 that means you probably have the largest public uh single location of, of uh pinball i would assume i think it is the biggest location uh, in canada right now yeah. and um you know it's and it's a nice mix um like i say but my first exposure to pinball was in pinburg so what i've tried to do within the facility is create those pinburg banks right okay. so Upstairs, uh, you'll have six banks um, of a modern, a mid-modern, a solid state, and an EM. And you'll have six of those banks uh, that are upstairs, and then downstairs is mostly modern and then um, and then solid state uh, and down there. But it, I find it's important to have all of the eras um, so mm-hmm. that people get exposure to, you know, all all sorts of kinds of different pinball machines because that really is what makes you a complete player when you can go ahead and you can play on every era. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and that's, again, one of the things that we've had here is, um, you know, most of what we've got here is modern DMD. So the collectors, uh, some of the collectors have uh, solid states and a few EMs, but that's definitely long-term. Now that, that points more to more of a Pinberg or a classic setup as well, because most other tournaments, you know, will, emphasize the dmd side of things a little more um i know when we go over to vancouver and stuff in general it tends to be a little more dmd based but uh, i can definitely see the reason for having those banks i think that's fantastic it's really yeah it's just a great opportunity and it's so funny you get like the you know the 10 year old kids and stuff and, and we've got a few young people that are actually in our league as well too because our facility is all ages and it's quite funny they just look at these machines and go my god you know what is this <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough and it, it is true it's well after they've come back now especially with lcd screens and everything else yeah you, you put them on an em and they're really going to be <laughs> and then of course tilt ends game what oh yeah just blows <laughs> our mind <laughs> Ooh, cool 
Um, we should speak a little bit to uh, some of the successes you've had. Um, oh, I, did, I did a little bit of a background <laughs> check here. That's part of my job. Um, but uh, I noticed that uh, in Indisc last year, uh, so not, not the one that we actually got to go to um, in 2020, but the one in 2019, that uh, you won the Classics 2 division. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I try to hide in the shadows, right? So, you know, try to sneak up on people, but I don't think it's going to happen anymore uh, after, you know, that win in uh, in disc and probably the highlight of my career so far in competitive pinball. Uh, you know, maybe the only other accomplishment is maybe my 10th place uh, or 11th place in Pinburg. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it was such a great opportunity there. Uh, you know, Jim Belcito and Carl D'Angelo, uh, they run just a a really tight tournament over there uh, in Never Drains in Southern California. And uh, I, I go over there and I, I've helped them uh, with that tournament as well, too, because I know what it's like running uh, these tournaments. And and so it's it's a great opportunity for me to uh, hang out with those guys and such cool guys. But, yeah, it was, it was just one of those events where it was a classics. And I find that I do a lot better in the classic side than I do on the modern side. Not that I'm a, a terrible modern player, but I, I find I have a, better comfort level with the more classics machines and tend to do a little better in the classics tournaments uh, that I'm in. So um, the stars aligned that day. I was able to qualify. I think I qualified within my first card or second card of the day and then, you know, was able to get through the playoff rounds, which is not easy um, in that format where you have to, you know, get at least in the top two um, in, yep. in your, in your foursome. And there were some close calls there and there was some, you know, luck uh, that was involved and me just, you know, having the right ball at the right time to move on and ended up in the final. And uh, we ended up actually tying after um, after the round was done and we had to go to a tiebreaker. So there was like a ton of people that were watching this. And uh, I think yeah. it was me, me and Louise uh, Wagen, Wagensteiner, I think your last name is. And both me and her were in the final. And I can tell you that I would say probably 99% of the room was voting for her, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that would be the case, I think. Yep, that's true. <laughs> so went through it, and I still remember the. I think it was Golden Arrow that we were on, and uh, okay. yeah, end up rolling it, and uh, had a had a, had a really good uh, game on it. Again, and, you know, an EM, which I, I really enjoy, and I've grown to enjoy uh, the older games, and yeah, uh, it, the stars aligned, and I took home uh, the championship, and I have my name up on the banner, and. No one can ever take that away from me. So I was pretty happy with that. that that's awesome, Derek. And, and congratulations on that. that. Yeah, that is an accomplishment. Um, one of the other ones, I mean, uh, a tournament that uh, a friend of mine, Eddie, runs uh, along with Walt and a few other folks, Steve Martin, uh, back in Toronto, uh, the c &E in 2019. So these both happened in 2019, that you ended up uh, getting a first, second and third in I guess, is that all the tournaments they were running? Was there only three total? There were three total, yeah, that they yeah, ran so in there. So, okay. yeah. No, it's great. And, uh, you know, and such great guys out east, right? So I hang out a lot with Jack Tadman. He's such oh, a, Jack's fantastic. Such a great character, right? And yep. I really enjoy playing with him. And uh, he's such a great guy. So we get along really well. Um, you know, Adam Becker over there, Ian Harwer. Um, you know, there's just a number of great players uh, that are over there on the on the east side, and I, and I never really got to play over there, so I decided, oh, you know what, I might as well try the C and E tournament that's over there. Uh, you know, Jack's been bugging me to to come over out east, and 
uh, he, he came over and, and played over in Yagpin. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to commit to going over there. I want to, you know, I, I want to support as much as I can, um, you know, for, for, for pinball as much as possible in Canada. So I try to get out to as many tournaments as I can. So I ended up, uh, yeah, going to the CNE pinball championships and very nice setup that they have there. I tell you, it's like, it's like a whole huge show that's there it's just it's you know the the gaming section that they have on there they have a whole wing that's dedicated to like overwatch and you know all these other e-gaming uh facilities that's over there and then we have this little tiny pinball tournament that's in the middle of all that yeah so, I mean, yeah true enough yeah but it was great and uh you know it, they just did a really good job it was well run um streamed uh it was yeah i had a really great time and just ended up you know, there was a bank of machines that, you know, that, that really suited my game. Uh, that was when Jurassic Park first came out. Okay. Uh, and ended up getting my first chances to really play that game and really enjoyed it. And uh, was lucky enough to, you know, be in the finals and ended up beating uh, my nemesis, Adam Becker. And I was pretty happy with that. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sure Adam took it very well. <laughs> he did, yeah. He, he did. Adam, oh, Adam loves you know. <laughs> okay, well, no, Adam's a good guy. He just at, at on the odd occasion he's shown temper, but uh, <laughs> I think we've I mean, all uh, been there. So you know, and true uh, yeah, and I've played versus Adam a, a number of times. So he's a he's a great guy, great competitor, a former mm-hmm. Pinburg champion. So always looked up to him. He's got such a great game and he's so solid. And I was just surprised as hell I was able to to pull it out there uh, in the tournament. So very happy with that result as well. well good on you. Good on you. Our mandate has always been to try to to, to grow pinball, and um, yep. that's that's what we want to do, and you know try to get as many people involved in that process as possible. And things like Yank Pin really bring the community together. And I can tell you that diehard pinball, uh, Yank Pin, uh, all these things, they're not done alone. So you know I tend to be the face of, of pinball in Alberta, but there's so many other people. Uh, that are involved in this process that deserve so much credit for what they've done and how they've helped us grow, um, you know, this uh, this sport uh, in Alberta. I just have a, a great executive team for, for Die Hard Pinball who really, really helps out through the year and, you know, helps manage our events and takes care of administrative things. You know, we've got a treasurer, we've got a secretary, we've got a vice president, we've got a member at large. And, you know, those people dedicate their time and effort to go ahead and make things run so smoothly for us. And, you know, the 70 plus volunteers that we get for Yagpin to go ahead and run that show is just, you know, phenomenal. Uh, We just have so much support in this province for pinball. And Mm -hmm. we just can't wait till the doors get open again uh, so that we can show the world again uh, what a great game we have. Well, I mean, I look forward to getting to my first Yagpin, and I know we've got a bunch of people on the island that uh, look forward to when we can get back to that again, too. Um, I just want to thank you a lot for uh, for the discussion and for some of the history and and also seeing where you guys are going in the future. It's, it's awesome stuff. Uh, I know personally, um, when you describe, you know, the team that you have behind you and all that, uh, I've got a much, I've got a smaller team, but it's sort of similar, and it's very true. You can't do any of this stuff on your own. You need multiple people behind you, and and uh, it's it it's their work that actually makes the entire process, you know, what it is. Somebody's got to steer the ship, but uh, everybody's got to row, and uh, you know that's it, it's very commendable uh, what everyone out there is doing. Um, 
So I just wanted to congratulate you on, on the successes that you've had. And, and like I say, we look forward to, uh, to future visits out there and, uh, and future successes for the, uh, the Edmonton crew. Yeah, for sure. We'd love to have you. So come on down. And, oh, well, uh, it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be great. So yeah, look forward to uh, being able to uh, see everybody again. So we can't wait. Excellent. Uh, so I'm going to sign off at this point then. This has been Dan Bitterlick with uh, Derek Thompson uh, of uh, Yegpin and Die Hard and uh, Arcadium. Uh, thank you very much, Derek. Thanks a lot. Okay, many thanks uh, to Derek for that uh, interesting discussion regarding uh, the scene in Edmonton. Now, we've got a contest again this month. This one is going to involve various numbers of pinball noises or sounds. And we're going to take the first person that gets all of them by January 14th, or whoever gets the most can name the games that are involved in the sounds, uh, the most number. So we're going to have five sounds uh, and for, from five different games, and you've just got to name the games that are involved. One! send an email to vipinballpodcast at gmail.com and we'll take them in order. We're going to have a local contest winner here for people on the island. Again, that'll be VPL swag of some sort or another. Oh, jackpot! And that's a wrap. Many thanks to our house band, Ian's Plastic Dirigible, and their hit tune, Escalator to Valnor. See you tomorrow, Daryl and Dan.